Hey, it's me, Lisa P, and welcome to It's Called Life, where I deep dive into topics like motherhood, womanhood, society, culture, and all the other crazy things that make up this thing we call life. And it should be no surprise to you that more and more women are choosing not to have children. You've seen news articles about millennials choosing to either wait later to have kids or just not to have kids at all, as opposed to the previous generations where most people tried and succeeded to start families in their 20s and even late teens. Even Elon Musk is getting in on the conversation talking about how why he has six kids is because, well, everybody needs to start producing or we're going to lose our workforce. Which, considering Elon Musk's children are never going to actually be part of the workforce, I find that very funny. But Elon Musk aside, let's talk about the declining birth rate and why maybe more women are deciding not to have kids. Now, there are a lot of factors that factor in age, career, etc. But I think one of the big ones, at least from people I've spoken to, is this idea that we have finally kind of lifted the veil on motherhood. Millennial moms are the first generation to be documenting their entire pregnancy, their entire motherhood experience on social media. And not only are we discussing the good, bad, and ugly of motherhood with a giant completely public population, the the environment that we are being asked to raise kids in has completely changed. People are more likely to move away from their families. We don't have the same sort of village and community built in. And the rate of working women has also increased without any accommodations being made for mothers and parents. And those of us that do end up as homemakers or stay-at-home moms, which societally is what has been expected of women for generations, but those of us who are doing it are telling y'all, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. The fantasy of motherhood very rarely meets up with the day-to-day actual lived experience. And I fell prey to it too. I always knew I wanted to be a mom. I had this fairy tale Disney-fied version of motherhood in my head. And when I finally got into it, I felt duped. And that's not to say that motherhood isn't the most amazing and fulfilling thing I've ever done with my life, because it is. And that's how I look at it. I love being a mom. But the reality is not the painted picture that we all expect. You know, when you dream about your wedding, I think that's also a similar experience. I think a lot of people who went in for the big fantasy wedding, when you finally got into it with budgets and money and vendors and family fights and all the bullshit, I think people also realized that that was a little bit of a scam. And I'm not saying kids are a scam, but I'm saying motherhood in America, in this country, it's a scam. And I honestly think that my friends who are working parents and my family members who are working mothers get the short end of the stick because not only now are women out there earning their own money, bringing in a paycheck, but the work and labor and mental load of being the default parent still automatically falls on the woman. So now you're not just doing the job of mom, you're doing the job of mom, of homemaker, of house coordinator, plus your actual job. That still floors me that that is the standard and the expectation. You know, we've gotten so far that we have, as a society, as men, allowed women into the workforce, but still have made the door so tight to walk through that so many women decide not to. That just staying home is easier if they can afford it. Because don't forget, if you do go back to work, you still have to pay somebody to watch your child. There's that quote that I think everybody's heard, which is, This country expects mothers to work like they don't have children and mother like they don't have jobs. And I think a lot of younger women are are looking at this generation who is sharing the struggles in the day-to-day of being married with kids 
in this country, whether they have jobs or not outside of the home, but are looking at the day-to-day reality of these women. And when you just look at it from the outside and you're not getting that emotional connection from your children, you're not getting that fulfillment, you're just looking at the literal lifestyle that's involved, a lot of women are like, yeah, no, that seems like a bad deal for me. And they're not necessarily wrong. You know, I've talked a lot on my pages about the fact that the way my family works so smoothly is because I have the most compassionate, empathetic, hands-on, motivated, participatory partner, but also because he doesn't treat my domestic labor, my job as homemaker, as a God-given right of his maleness. This was a joint decision. And before I was a homemaker, I was a caterer. And he used to come with me on catering jobs before I had made enough money to hire staff to come do the serving. He would come after his job, put on an apron, and help me serve my clients. So everything we've done has always been a partnership. And if you don't go into parenting like that, or if the expectation is just that moms are going to cover it and mom's the primary parent no matter what, you are going to find yourself in a just avalanche of duties. And moms aren't staying silent anymore about it. We're talking about the overwhelm. We're talking about the burnout. We're talking about the inherent unfairness of it. We are talking about the unreasonable expectations. And honestly, I feel like we're doing it hopefully so we can enact some serious change both societally and on a government level and also within our own homes. Prepare these younger generation of women for the discussions and the conversations and the understandings that you need to have going forth if this is something you choose to do. And in some ways, I do feel like this is a issue that specifically impacts cishet couples because the ingrained genderism, the ingrained sexism of it is there within these couples because it has been established for so many generations. You know, the societal expectations of lesbian couples or gay couples or non-binary couples is a little bit more you can make up your own rules. And generally, because those types of couples have different ideas on gender and gender performance um, and the roles within the family, you know, you can't have a two male household where they're like, well, no, I'm the man because, yeah, dude, well, there's two of you. So now which one of you is going to decide that your maleness trumps the other and you get to not participate? None. Exactly. It's probably a much more equal understanding and a much more equal split of the labor of raising a child. But the inherent sexism that and the gender expectation in cishet relationships is that the woman will be the mother, the caretaker, the nurturer, and that somehow reaching motherhood is society's like, that's the pinnacle of the expectation of our lives. And women are realizing, you know, I have a lot of other things I want to do. I have a lot of other things that make me unique and special and valuable as a person. Maybe I want to pursue those. Maybe I want to keep my hobbies from before I had kids. Maybe I want to have a part-time job. Maybe I want to have a full-time job. Maybe you're going to be a stay-at-home dad. And as women are becoming more informed and more knowledgeable in the choices that they're making for their futures, deciding whether or not to have kids, if it is a choice, if you have that choice, is something that people are just weighing more because the implications of it are so much more severe than I think people had originally told us, or at least told me growing up as a millennial. The way we're parenting our children with intention is also completely different. The way we are centering our children's lives and development above our own is also different. I don't remember that. Like my parents were super involved, but 
I don't think there was a time where I felt like the center of my family's universe, that's for sure. At least not in the way that we're now seeing it now, especially with, again, social media and the expectation and the sanctimonies and the being the perfect parent and the damned if you do and damned if you don't mentality and the mob mentality of people mom shaming. You know, the pressure is insane. So if we speak out, if we are more honest, A, we get told that we're complaining about motherhood, which, um, yeah, fair, we are. <laughs> but it's purposeful complaining. It's purposeful venting. Number one, to lessen the isolation of motherhood, to know that other people are going through the things that we're going through, these complicated feelings and these day-to-day struggles, to have a sense of community that we are now getting from social media that we weren't necessarily getting in our day-to-day lives. But also, hopefully, the sharing of the lived experience is going to enact some real change at, as I said, a societal and governmental level. Now, what could that possibly look like? There's a lot of other countries that do such a better job at supporting mothers and postpartum birthing people and families. But a couple of things that I would love to see start to take hold here in the states and start to be actually put forth in legislation, in amendments, in social programs are as follows. We need to find a way to listen to women and lower the maternal death rate in this country, especially among Black, Latino, and Indigenous women. We already have one of the worst maternal mortality rates in the Western world, but when you factor in things like race, it's incredibly dangerous to give birth here comparatively to other countries. And I'm absolutely not putting that on the doctors, but I I do have a deep criticism of a for-profit medical system. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's because I'm Canadian and my mom was a doctor in Canada and and they've told me about their birth experience where they paid $5 to rent a television and that was all they owed for their children. But the fact that people can go into actual debt simply to be able to have their children when like you've already, you've, you've made the product, you're just delivering it. So what's with all the expense? And it really comes down to insurance companies and for-profit medicine. We also need a national right to abortion care back. And I'm going to say that really slowly. We need our right for abortion care back. Even a straightforward pregnancy is a dangerous thing to do. It is an extremely physical thing to do that has longstanding possible consequences, including death. There is not a person alive who should be forced to do that against their will. And all of these strict bans on abortion are also impacting medical miscarriages and people who need DNCs for unviable pregnancies. To me, it's simply appalling that we're even living in a country where that's not just general health care. But speaking of other types of health care and how that can be improved for mothers, we need comprehensive maternal and postpartum psychological care. Like psych evaluations and counseling should be standard postpartum care for at least the first six months. We are just finally now starting to scratch the surface of conversations about maternal mental health, but it's still such a taboo subject. And along with postpartum physical care, we should absolutely be prioritizing mental health care as well. I would also really like to see postpartum doulas be a subsidized thing. When I saw What the Health by Michael Moore, and it talked about how in France they have a national health person come to your house and help you for the first few weeks as just standard postpartum care. And I'm not sure if they still have that, but at the time of the filming of that movie they did, I was absolutely floored. That is 
completely genius. A lot of people don't have that sort of care after a baby and it's necessary. That's not a luxury. That's a necessity. I feel like a lot of these points can be chalked up to a more socialized medical system, but there's some other things too that I think would make motherhood less of a daunting experience. You know, if we're going to insist that moms go back to work and, and they need to be back at work within, what, 12 weeks is maybe the standard for postpartum maternity leave, uh, then we should be subsidizing childcare. Because if you do go back, you still have to find a place for your child. You have to put them in a care. You have to pay for that. You don't get adequate sick days to cover the illnesses of children in daycare. Because if you've ever had a kid in daycare, you know that they're sick every other week. Or hell, why don't more businesses and companies, bigger companies obviously, have daycares in the buildings? And honestly, the real answer is because they don't care about quality of life. They care about productivity. And I feel like very quickly this is going to turn into <laughs> an anti-capitalist rant. <laughs> but I'm truly not an anti-capitalist at my core. I feel like it is the inherent greed and immorality of human beings that make capitalism um, a, a less than desirable place to live for most of the people in this country. But capitalism absolutely does hurt women and especially mothers more than it hurts men which is where we get the term working mother and not working father, because fathers are just men who go to work and nobody thinks about them having to take care of their kids. Because all of that invisible labor, all of the invisible labor that keeps this wonderful capitalist economy juggernaut going is done by women and mothers. Domestic labor is the invisible workforce in this country. And women are finally sick of it. And we're finally all talking about it. Speaking of our disgustingly short maternity leave, um, maternity leave should be extended. It should be paid for a year minimum. There's absolutely no reason that a mother who has birthed a child or adopted a child has to leave that child after 8 to 12 weeks. That is insanely young, especially if you're breastfeeding. But of course, we're also going to do absolutely nothing about establishing good breastfeeding by giving mothers appropriate amounts of time off in order to actually breastfeed or for trans men or non-binary people to chest feed their infants. Um, no, instead we're going to shame them if they lose their supply because they go back to work so soon and they have to formula feed because we've decided that breast is best at all costs, but we're not going to actually support anybody in order to make that a possibility. Can you tell I'm getting more annoyed the more I talk about this whole issue? Because some of these solutions seem so simple to me, and yet they are impossible within our society if we don't all make this happen. You know, the veil has been lifted. The facade has been cracked. We're all now looking at parenthood and motherhood in this country and deciding that, yeah, that doesn't look like a good choice for me. That doesn't look financially sustainable. That doesn't look like a lifestyle will all be supported and valued. And at least within cishet relationships where a woman is giving birth and taking all of that unseen labor on, we also need to be changing that dynamic. Long gone are the days where men get to go to work pulling a paycheck and call it a day. That does not lead to a healthy family. That does not lead to a healthy marriage. That does not lead to a well-supported parental unit. If the entire outside world isn't going to support your wife, you as her husband absolutely should be. You know, we have a long way to go as a society, as individual couples, as people, to really realize that a lot of the problems within our society start early and start at home. If we want to have a healthier population, a more mentally sound population, a better supported economy, 
we need to start funding and supporting the very beginning. Parents, early childhood, teachers, and schools. We shouldn't live in a society where parents start off their journey as parents and mothers start off their journey as mothers in extreme financial debt and with absolutely no medical support. Like here, here's your baby. Congratulations. You now owe us $25,000. Oh, and good luck with your postpartum depression, but just enjoy every minute. You know, the whole thing is a scam. The whole thing is bullshit. Women deserve better. Birthing people deserve better. And as a whole, if you support women and mothers and the people who bring life into this world, you're supporting the entire world. You're investing in the future. And you know, a good investment takes some money. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of It's Called Life. I'm Lisa P. Don't forget to subscribe and keep up with all new episodes. And I will see y'all next time.